Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, November 29th, 2021, and you're listening to part two of episode 125 of the Can I Say Something podcast. I'm your host and a recluse with a juicy caboose, Damien. Joining me today is my beautiful boy, Derek McDuff. <laughs> today in the show, we'll be discussing with spoilers for everything, more discussions about the best show in television succession, many, many more reviews of the most anticipated films of 2021. Right into the show, bicyclegmail.com, bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, family member, stranger. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing well, man. It's good to be back. I yes. I thought you might have died for a second there. <laughs> I was like... Yeah. I was like, oh man, where'd he go? I haven't heard any new episode. Just stop seeing your reviews on Letterboxd. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's good it's good to know you're still among us. Yes, among us, yeah, exactly. Uh yeah, I got went down a deep hole, deep rabbit hole of a video game called Escape from Tarkov. It's a realistic like uh, military shooter. Um it's not like uh, Call of Duty where you just die and you come back. If you die, uh, all your gear is gone, basically. So it's highly, highly addictive. It's a very addictive game where you're just like getting these little dopamine drips, like I was saying, and just leveling up. It's like an MMO. Like if you get into MMOs, like deeply into them, <laughs> you just want to play them all the time. So I was just grinding through that. So, but now I'm back. I'm here. I'm alive. I've watched a shit ton of movies. You've watched a shit ton of movies too. I, I can see. Yeah, yeah, I've been seeing a lot of stuff recently. Trying to trying to get all the kind of best stuff of the year and some not so great stuff too, but you know, we'll yeah. go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of year. I always I've been getting more into the Osher stuff in the past 5 or 6 years and it is just ridiculous the amount of movies they put out at the end of the year, especially with COVID where they had, you know, stuff that was supposed to come out last year and now they're trying to pile that on top of the all the usual stuff. It's it's absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? It really is, yeah. Like you said it, Willie, because, you know, there's so much stuff that they didn't put out last year that now we're just getting everything. And, you know, with Netflix, like the model they have where they just put out like, you know, a movie like essentially like, I don't know, a couple movies every, you know, uh, week, you know, I don't, it's, it's yeah. nuts. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I've, you know, I'm trying to keep up on the stuff. And also the, the thing that really grinds my gears, <laughs> like really pisses me off, is they have movies like you. I see a couple on your list here that aren't playing around here. And it's like, where am I supposed to see this? I will literally give you $20, 30 to, to watch Belfast at home. I understand that's not optimal thing for Scorsese or any of these guys. I'm, I understand they want me to go to your theater, go into the theater, but it's just literally not available around here i really wanted to see the french dispatch we got dumped on with about eight inches of snow yesterday so unfortunately wasn't able to make that showing but i had to go i had to drive like an hour away to see that movie and it's just like just just put it somewhere if it's if it's not streaming i'll pay twenty dollars maybe not thirty thirty's pushing it i think twenty twenty's the sweet spot in terms of premium vod do, do you agree yeah yeah i mean I, I feel like 20 is even a bit much but so it's like after that i don't want to you know i don't want to go any higher than 20 that's that's ridiculous yeah. after that at that point you know yeah 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 it really is so let's get into some of the stuff i've been watching i watched shang chi for the first time finally uh when it came to uh disney plus a few weeks ago i believe um has simu lee i love uh uh tony leong i just got the box set of uh, Wong Kar Wai's box set, and and basically, uh, for for those who don't know, Tony Leung is Wong Kar Wai's muse. He he worked with him multiple times in in the early '90s and in 2000 with uh, um, what is that movie? In the uh, Mood for Love. 
In the mood for love. Thank you. Yeah. So really great actor. I've known him for a long time. And I, I really think that, you know, we're talking about blockbusters and big bombastic movies like this. They they really do hinge on whether the villain is good or not, whether you are, well, it's a charismatic villain. And you also have to sympathize with their motives in order for that to be an effective villain mm-hmm. and to make the movie work overall. So I think that really helped a lot in this film. Do you think so, too? No, yeah, like I, he's been, I'm a really big fan of his, you know, like you mentioned Wong Kar Wai, we talked about In the Mood for Love, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, he's so good. I love the, just the, he just the really interesting character that he brings because he is a, you understand him, um, you, 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 you like him, you know, and you, he, because he was a villain and then he, before the story even starts, he reforms and then he yeah. kind of gets back into villain villainy again and you see all this happen how he kind of messes up his kids and i just he's so you know there there's those kind of like one of those breaking down the scene type videos i saw a little bit ago where he kind of talks about how the character was originally written kind of more flat but he flushed him out a lot and i think it's shang chi and just especially especially because of him was one of the best mco movies that i've seen in a while definitely the best post endgame mcu thing i think i've seen um whether it be on the bigger or the small screen for sure yeah definitely when you talk about phase four stuff i would definitely put this up there i might even put this up there in top 10 mcu overall this is this was the fight choreography was incredible i think again talking about big action movies you have to have really tight uh, fight choreography. I think the actor themselves has to really get involved, deeply involved with that and be be good at it so you're not constantly cutting around the actor that can't actually do the stunts. You know, I think that that really lended to a very believable world in here. Uh, Aquafina is incredible. I love her. I love the, uh, the farewell. I think she has amazing range. She's really, really funny. Um, Michelle Yao is in this. She's really good in this. So yeah, yeah. One of one of the, one of the best things, like you said, with Loki. This and Loki are probably my top two things so far uh, of Phase Four. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know you brought up a good point where you talk about you know them, um, you know having actual people who know martial arts and not having to cut around them and stuff like something like Iron Fist. You know, yeah, where that the what's his name, um, Finn Jones clearly was not a very good martial artist and just yeah. would also not put in the work. Um, and it's a TV budget. Um, so, you know, for a lot of reasons, that martial arts show is very hamstrung. Um, whereas this, you know, they clearly have the time. They have talented actors who want to put in the t- effort. Um, and they also, unlike a lot of MCU things, which the action is tends to be very choppy. It's one of my criticisms of the MCU. These these scenes, they kind of tend to hold. They tend to let them play out a lot more like a lot of Eastern cinema that you would see, um, you know, stuff like uh, things of the wuja genre, or which this is clearly very inspired by, or just kind of um, things uh, like, you know, just the, the kind of kung fu movies that you would see that, you know, inspired a lot of the original Shang-Chi run, uh, comic runs. Um, you can clearly see, you know, the positive effects of that in this film and just the, the action scene really do feel like they can hold a bit longer, not feel so just kind of like choppy like you would in a lot of American action films. Yeah, absolutely. That first fight scene uh, between uh, Tony Leung and Michelle Yao in the forest was incredible. Just one of the best. Uh, yeah. One of, you could, yeah, definitely. Like you said, definitely feel the Wushu uh, um, inspiration there. It felt like a very, you know, um, crouching tiger, hidden dragon sort of thing. It was very, very, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, where are you in terms of yeah, like... Yeah, definitely. I, 
Where are you in terms of like the post-credit stuff? Are you like, okay, you, that was a little funny one, but you didn't add to the stuff. <laughs> I feel like Shane Sheen, in terms of the, the phase four stuff, did the best in terms of building the bridges between phase three and phase four by bringing in Bruce Banner and uh, Captain Marvel. And then I think Wong was there too. But just like, you know, the phase four stuff so far in terms of the... The, the bridge building and the post-credit stuff was pretty lackluster in terms of the, uh, what was it? WandaVision just had her looking through the dark, the dark hold book. And, you know, I just want to see more of like the old guard coming in and being like, hey guys, we see you come into the fold. Welcome to this. Welcome to the family. Hope, hope you have fun. <laughs> I just want to see more of that stuff, you know? Yeah, no, like, yeah, that, that's, that's absolutely right. I think I, I am getting kind of a little bit burned out on just, okay, like we just told a story now here's the next thing, you know, which has been the MCU's bread and butter for a while. But, you know, then we built up the end game. And so, okay, cool. Like, we've built up the thing. We told the story. I love that there's no end credits in the end game. That's the end of the story. But now we're, you know, we're right back at it again. We're just like, okay, we're dropping all these kind of little vague hints. Just it, it's very reminiscent of kind of just like maybe, you know, the end of the credits or post credit scenes that you would see in phase one where it's just like ah there's a larger world wink wink and you know they're not really setting anything up they're just kind of just being like ah more is coming but what it's just kind of the equivalent of you know shang chi will return but just in form of just you know a quick little uh post credit scene instead of giving us anything of actual substance um or anything that feels like it's really that interesting or connected to what we just saw yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally on board with all this stuff. You know, <laughs> I got on board pretty late in the MCU, so I'm 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 not quite Burdell like you said, but um, yeah, just just the the audacity of all this stuff of Kevin, of th- the thing Kevin Feige built over the past you know 12, 13 years is really admirable, and I'm really excited to see how they you know go from you know pretty grounded stuff. I understand the last one was like you know the entire world, the entire universe is coming together to fight Thanos, and that's a very large scale thing. But when you're talking about you know, the cosmos and the celestials and the internals, that's even a bigger scale. I'm really, really interested to see if they can actually bring that stuff into the fold while still having this, you know, small intimate thing of making it feel, um, you know, it has an impact. All these people are real. They're real people. Even the, even the Eternals are real people. Things to be interesting to see if they can, you know, come up to the challenge of making basically godlike people feel human. Yeah, and I thought with I think with the Eternals it was interesting because they kind of took a page out of the the post credit scenes for uh, Fast and the Furious, where those post credit <laughs> scenes are so much about like, oh, here's here's an interesting uh, actor. You don't really necessarily know yeah. the character, but wow, what, um, you know, oh, the next one is gonna have John Cena in it, so be ready. And that was like, okay, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't yeah. seen Eternals yeah. for the post credit scenes. Um, you probably heard already at this point, but like. Harry Styles shows up and, you know, Eros yep. is a character from the comics and it's cool for that. But it was mostly just kind of like, wow, we're going to have Harry Styles in an MCU movie. So I was like, <laughs> all right, you know, I see, I see what you guys are doing there. Um, I like Harry Styles a lot. Like, I think he's a very talented actor, you know, like he, he was in a Chris Nolan movie. Um, Chris Nolan, who had no idea who he was when he cast him. So he's just a really good actor. So I'm <laughs> yeah. excited for that. I also just think he's a very, very talented person in general and a cool dude. Um so we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, I could nerd out. I could nerd out about other stuff all day, but I have a lot of <laughs> a lot of stuff to get to. Um, so I saw Pig. I yeah. believe you saw this as well. Yeah, yeah, Pig was good. Pig was, I would call it. It's like John Wick meets Chef almost. Yes. 
Yes, yes. This was incredible. You know, um, Nicolas Cage is such a uh, chaotic actor, just chaotic energy, chaotic dark energy sometimes. You know, Mandy was that. I feel like the director of Mandy was just like, I know what Nicolas Cage is. I get him. I get his get his vibe. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring him in and just let him go. Let him go wild. <laughs> and I feel like, yeah. you know director of this was just like, yeah, he can do that, but let's see what else he can do. Let's see if he can be that dark, grizzled chef that's been in the woods for 15 years. Oh, he can still do that? Yes. Great. Let's let's put him out there and let's see him do that as well. I love this movie. Yeah, no, I, I really, really enjoyed it. You know, it's just kind of peak what you want to see from Cage where he just, he's so unique as an actor. He just kind of has this very, like, interesting, intense energy and sometimes you know it could, it's a little overplayed but i felt like it was exactly perfect in this movie like that was peak just like kind of cage just like you know going on this emotional roller coaster and it's just this cr- like crazy chef who's a recluse in the woods and just what his life has been like and you, you see this kind of emotional journey that he goes on where you know he starts to form a bond with this kid and just all this stuff i i, I really enjoyed it um i i would recommend it to pretty much everybody for sure yeah, yeah, incredible, incredible movie. Um, Alex, Wolf, Alex Wolf was very good in that, played a very different role than he was in Hereditary, so I'm excited to see what else he can do. Yeah, yeah, no, I was kind of, oh, the whole movie, I was like, where have I seen this kid before? Oh, right, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, next up, I saw King Richard uh, on HBO. This has this is the story of Richard Williams, uh, the, the father of the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena. And it's really, um, you know, you first go into this, you're like, okay, it's a biopic. It's going to be about the Serena sisters. It's really not. It's really about Richard Williams himself and that guy. And, and it's very interesting that the Venus and Serena produced this and that they put their stamp on it, even though it's not a completely flattering picture of their father, right? Yeah, no, I I thought it was um I get I did not think it was a very um you know, I thought they were trying to kind of soften his edges a little bit um because yeah. I don't think he, the real guy was great and I think they were trying to give kind of an honest portrayal but like at the end be like, "Okay, well, you know, he did all this stuff, but overall, you know, he cared. but I was like, "No, he seems like a like a like I was not redeemed at all by it. I I did not find like when they try to kind of like be like at the end like, "Oh yeah, but he was he was a good guy." I was like, "No, like he's he is awful. Like he just used people and just manipulated everyone around him. Um, I I forget her name, but the actress that played his wife, I thought was incredible. That scene they have, um, you know, in the kitchen is uh, a Oscar worthy moment. I think you know, uh, yeah. for Will Smith probably, but for her, just she knocks it out of the part. I thought she was incredible. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, because I'm I'm a big tennis fan and I always have been. And Richard Williams is a very very controversial figure, um, and I think that they kind of nailed that. Uh, just kind of his erratic, just kind of the way he kind of took advantage of his daughters. Let's say maybe like he just kind of right. used them for for fame and fortune, and just kind of like messed with everybody and messed with the media and took advantage of the coaches. And I I yeah, I have a lot of you know let's say conflicted feelings about that kind of that guy and the story. I just, I really do wish for the movie. It had, it had been a Venus and Serena Williams movie. Cause I would love to see a movie about them uh, because they are very inspirational figures um, who, you know, their story deserves to be told. 
definitely more than their dad. You know, it's just like, oh, wow, two of the most important women in all of sports. Well, how about the male figure in their life? Let's, I'm like, oh, all right, well, you know, whatever. Um, as a tennis fan, I thought yeah. it was a good tennis movie, though. Um, yeah. Tennis movies are not good, usually. Um, yeah. Uh, except for maybe Battle of the Sexes is the only one that I really enjoyed. There's some cool, like, references to, you know, Andy Roddick and you get John McEnroe in there for a sec. Um, oh. I would have liked there to have been at least a mention for Arthur Ashe given the subject matter. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting to to see him, how he brought them through the system, right? Because he knew that the, the, the way the system is set up basically to get these, you know, uh, highest level athletes through the system is just play, 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 do matches, do matches, make, make your entire life about the sport. And you see time and time again, whether it's kids burning out or athletes burning out in their 20s, 30s, or 40s, and then they just waste their money on whatever after they're done because they have nothing else to fall back on. That was really interesting and really insightful that he knew that. He saw that going forward. He had a very um, long-term view on their career, he knew that if he doesn't give them that background, that um, that foundation to build themselves onto in terms of uh, you know education and studying and things like that, then they will just probably end up a lot like all these other athletes you hear about that just retire very early and don't really do anything else with their lives. That was really smart of him to to do all that. And you know, it is like you said, it is very controversial because. You know, to do to play a match means you're on TV. Means sponsors are going to pay for you. Means sponsors are going to make money off of you. And he knew that. Like that part where Nike comes in and like we're going to give you three million dollars. And like no, no. How about no? <laughs> then they the the next day or whatever. Like now it's four million. Now it's five million. Very, it's very very smart. Very smart, but very very risky. Right? That she might have not. Um, Done, performed as she did the, the next day. Even though she did lose, they still gave her more money. But it is, I think, it was very, very uh, smart of him to to go the path he did go down. And I, you know, it's one of those things where so many athletes, like I said, are do burn out and do get into addiction, things like that. But a lot of them don't. So you know, it's it's a it's a very he did a very risky move there with the career plan and all that. But it is also very uh, you know admirable to to do that as well. Yeah. And uh, I was just checking. So Anjanu Ellis is uh, yes, um, who pr- plays his wife. Uh, I think she definitely, you know, yeah, deserves an Oscar. Will Smith, you know, like this might be the chance for him to get his first Oscar. Um, yeah. I think it's not going to be a super strong year in terms of best leading men. So he's probably got a, maybe as good shot as ever. And I I think that um, definitely one of my favorite guys, uh, John Bernthal, uh, yes. the Punisher. Uh, yeah, I think he he kills it in this movie. I think he does have, definitely also deserves a, a supporting nod. Yeah, yeah, you could definitely feel like a, there there are some movies that are you know very Oscar baity. You you feel like the person's just looking for an Oscar, and this is you know it's it's that, but it's very it's a, it's a very good one of those. I do think he, you know, I think Will Smith is one of those guys that's very hard to forget. It's him. You know, a lot of times and he puts on an affectation in his voice and he does these mannerisms to try to make you forget that he's him. But it doesn't quite work for me. But overall, I really did. Yeah, I enjoy his performance. And you said Anjanul Ellis. Yeah, great, great. Like, again, making somebody making a figure like that, making that um that role, that that uh wife role, that mother role that you always see as being the naggy person that's always, you know, telling the person just just give up or whatever or just you know we, we got bills to pay blah 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 do this don't do that it's very um you know very different take on that kind of role i thought that was very very well done yeah most sports movies you see like this um you know like that character would just kind of be you know just kind of, oh this big you know like this just a thorn in the side 
But she's kind of like, no, like, I am as much in this as you are. Like, this is as much my story as it is yours. Like, I'm doing all these things that you don't even realize. And I absolutely love that, that it's, it's a very different dynamic for the kind of, like, wife character in a sports biopic like this. I, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, so next up, we got Hawkeye that debuted last week. Or was it in the middle of last week? Wednesday, right? They're doing Wednesday, Thursday releases now, I think. Yeah, the I think Wednesday. Yeah, because it was right before Thanksgiving it came. Yep. Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, so the, Wednesday, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this got Jeremy Renner, obviously. Haley Steinfeld is amazing in this. Uh, Vera Farmiga. I don't think I even knew she was in this. Uh, I love her. One of my favorite actresses. Me either. I was like, was that Vera Farmiga? What the hell? Yeah, like, it just yeah. caught me off guard. And, yeah, and yeah. Lalo from um, from uh, uh, Better Call Saul. I had no idea who was in it either. Better, yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. I saw Breaking Bad. I haven't caught up with uh, with Better Call Saul yet. But yeah, I saw he was he was playing that great character. I guess you know we're. I was telling my friend the other day we're getting into kind of deep cuts in, in terms of Marvel stuff. You know the the Eternals. I'm not really familiar with the whatever Black Black Knight that um, Kit Williams kept. Uh, Kit Carrington was playing oh. um, in that film. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with, so we're really getting into <laughs> the deep cuts in terms of the characters of the MCU. So, like I said, uh, Tony yeah. Dalton plays Jack du- Duquette. I guess he's a uh, character named Jacques, Jacques Duquette in the in the comics. Plays uh, swordsman. So obviously, that's a direct callback to the scenes where he's he's doing fencing with uh, Kate Bishop mm-hmm. in that scene. So it's very interesting that we're just getting into this all this stuff that I'm not. Super familiar with canon-wise in the books. Are you familiar with these characters at all? Not at all. Like, I mean, I know yeah. Kate Bishop. Like, I know the name, and I know she's kind of like Hawkeye's protege. That's that's yeah. it. Like, I had no idea who Swordsman was or, like, any of these guys, you know. Um, th- so it is kind of like, you know, uncharted territory for me. Uh, I have been trying to steer clear of, like, any spoilers or anything. I know that there's the big yeah. Matt Fraction comic that this is largely yep. inspired by. I have not read that. Um, so yeah. Yeah, this is great. Um, I love that, you know, Clint Barton, Jeremy Renner, I was watching a bunch of interviews with Jeremy Renner and, and Hilly Steinfeld together and Jeremy Renner just seems so <laughs> uncomfortable in real life. And I feel like, uh, Clint Barton is a perfect, um, you know, role for him to play because he is that guy, just very uncomfortable, very like, I'm just here to do my job. I don't, don't ask me how I do it. Don't ask me to, to teach you, blah, blah, blah. That He's a perfect fit for that. Haley Steinfeld is great as his protege or, you know, going to be his protege soon, but they're making it out to be, they're not going to work together as they always do with that sort of thing. But yeah, I thought this was yeah. really, really funny. I th- I did read the, uh, the Matt Fraction, uh, David Aha run they did in 2012. So I'm Pretty familiar with Pizza Dog. I'm familiar with the Russian guy saying bro, this and bro, that all over the place. Um, wasn't familiar with Vera Farmiga in terms of her character, but yeah, just just very funny. It's, I love just, a, this is going to be six episodes, a quick little, you know, again, intimate story before we get into the bigger stuff in terms of the movies. Really, really fun. I, she's obviously going to be, you know, one of the Young Avengers. I'm, I'm super looking forward to the Young Avengers, them putting that team together. So this this seems like something that's uh, right up my alley. Yeah, no, and I I like the show has been and you know it's fine for me. Like I'm, I'm it's not the most exciting thing that I've seen in the MCU. I've never been like I think Jerry Manor is great. Uh, I think Hawkeye is an interesting piece of it, an ensemble piece of a team, especially when he's paired with Black Widow. Um, I don't think he's necessarily like my favorite character when I want to follow. Uh, but I I do you know like that you know they're bringing in Kate Bishop. I'm curious to see where that's going um, and, you know, how these characters are going to be introduced. So, uh, yeah, curious. And I like that it's tight. It's going to be only, like you said, six episodes. So we've gotten the first third of it already. 
Um, so it's not going to be this long, stretched out thing. We're going to get a nice, concise story. Yeah, yeah. Super looking forward to the end here. Uh, let's see. Have you seen any Wheel of Time uh, yet? I have not. I haven't gone. I need to find. I need to because I had Apple TV through a friend, and now um, they're like a uh, year expired. So I gotta find a new way to get out <laughs> uh, Apple TV so I can watch Wheel of Time and catch up on Ted yeah. Lasso. Yeah, yeah. I believe Wheel of Time is on Amazon. I believe it's an Amazon joint. Oh, is it on Amazon? Okay. Yeah. Well, then I yeah. I should watch it then. Yeah, I've so I'm I was uh, getting caught up with the books. I've read up to book five out of like 13 so then they're massive books they're like 800 pages each so i'm f- very familiar with this uh subject matter with the adaptation um it does very well so far like all the world building i think you know when you're adapting something like that with such a dense and you know just the world building is is so immense like you have the the, the corners that you cut are going to be very noticeable because all of, so much of the book so much of what I'm getting out of the book and enjoying from it is that world building and the character arcs and all of that background for each little character and all of the stuff so when you know it's it's four episodes in and it seems like they're going to do eight eight episodes and it seems like they're about halfway through the book right now, which again, it's 800 pages. So you're just like, holy crap, this happened. And they're already at that point and it's halfway through the season. Holy crap. Yeah. So they're probably going to do the uh, Game yeah, of Thrones it's thing. Everybody's yeah, trying to do ahead. their own uh, Game of Thrones, you know? Yes. Yeah. I was just going to mention that it's a, you know, everybody's comparing it to Game of Thrones and it is, it is sort of that in that world, you know, it's got magic. It's got, they're alluding to a dragon, but when they say dragon in this world, it's more like just a very powerful male uh, magic user. Um, it's got mm. you know decent decent graphics, decent CGI. Um, the costuming is okay. I feel like they could make it more lived in, more gritty, more grimy sort of look because in the book they're mm. constantly going from place to place. The the uh, what do you call them? The dark the dark helpers or whatever they're called. The the friends of the dark or whatever are just everywhere and they're constantly having to go from village to village and sleeping on hay bales and all this shit. And everyone looks just like they walked off you know <laughs> Milan off a off a runway in Milan. They just look amazing all the time. And that's sort of uh, takes you out of it. But uh, overall, I really really like the show. Um, so yeah, definitely definitely recommend that one. Yeah, I need to check it out. I love and I love yeah. Rosamund Pike. Like she's she's yes. always incredible. Yes, yes, she is. Uh, so you recommended last time we talked, you recommended No Sudden Move, the new film by yes. newest film, newest film by Steven Soderbergh. Uh, it's got a whole bunch of people in this. Don Cheadle, Brendan Fraser. You know he's coming back. I, everybody's rooting for him, including myself. I think he did an interview recently where you know the person was like, "We're all the internet's rooting for you, Brendan." And he got teary eyed, which is nice. Um, really, yeah. he's really good in this. He's really good. I feel like you know he's. He's, um, what do you call it, just settling into his middle age, playing characters that are, you know, age appropriate, that he looks the part. Mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he was really good in this. Benicio Del Toro is in this. Julia Fox uh, was in this when I, who I first saw in uh, Uncut Gems. She's very good in this. Kieran Culkin. Now, this is going to be full spoiler for this movie. Kieran Culkin <laughs> is in Succession, which yeah. I don't know if you've, if you've seen yet, but he is a great actor, one of my favorite actors. He pops up in this and then gets shot in the face very, very early on. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> Kieran, no. <laughs> yeah, well, I, yeah, I know him from, um, I mean, from being Macaulay's brother and then also, um, I think, from, most famously from uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he was very good in this. David Harbour yeah, was like, so Yeah, like really, good in really this. big cast, uh, including yeah. a big surprise, uh, you know. Yes. The, uh, you know, I, you know, we said we're full, spoilers, so I'll just go ahead and say it. But yeah, uh, yeah um, just like he always does, shows up at the end. Matt Damon, and so always yeah. surprise Matt Damon. I, I love yeah. that. 
Um, and you know, the, the auto industry was the bad guy all along, uh, yep. you know, and there's the second movie I've seen where just Detroit is like trying to cover up catalytic converters after the nice guys, which is another great movie. But yeah, uh, yeah. I, this has definitely been, you know, I, I would say it was, you know, at the time we talked about it, my favorite movie of the year that had been released. Uh, I yep. think it's probably still in my top three for sure. Yeah, this is, this is something that I don't know if I've seen Soderbergh go down, but it's a, it's a, you know, pretty pointed indictment of you know just capitalism and how the ultra rich will just get their money back <laughs> no matter what they are just you yeah. know that throughout the entire yeah, movie yeah, exactly. it's Don and Cheadle just get richer in the process if anything you know just get richer and everybody's the the, the elite are in cahoots with, with each other and you have because you have you know Don Cheadle Don Cheadle's character and I forget who his partner was the the entire film looking down the uh, the cast list but was it who was he basically going was, uh, around? Benicio, with? right? Benicio, right, right. So he's him and Benicio are going around. Just he just wants like five grand, right? And what do they end up taking out? They end up uh, stealing like three hundred fifty thousand. Keeps getting bigger and bigger. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting that they sort of make him out to be like, oh, Benicio's like, don't be greedy. Do you got we got our ten thousand or whatever? And he's like, yeah, but we get more. We could get more. And it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. But, you know, the, the real greedy people are the banks and it's the, like I said, the auto industry. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just an indictment of John Hamm yeah. in, the, in this movie playing the FBI agent. And at the end of the movie, right, he just goes around, collects all this money that's been that's been taught <laughs> gone from hand to hand and he's just like yeah all right you you've you little guys have played your games you've had your fun now now the adults now that now daddy bank is going to get his money back so good good try but in, at the end mm-hmm. of the day you know you can't fight yeah, the big banks and it's everything. Just, and it's that part with john ham is just like oh it's just kind of reinforcing that like yeah the capitalism just the corruption of capitalism and how everybody's working for the banks and the auto industry, including yeah. law enforcement, you know, at the high, yep. at, you know, pretty much every level is just, you see that in this movie, just they're all kind of just, you know, out there just, you know, like, oh, here's your money back. It's your money, you know, and Matt Damon's like, oh, yeah, have, have whatever wine you want to have for you. Thank you. Thank you. You know, good job. Good job. Yeah. 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 Really great movie. Really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Ray Liotta was in this. I love seeing him pop up in anything. Yeah. Uh, I forgot. Liotta shows up. Yeah, yeah, love that guy. Yeah, great, great movie. Highly recommend. It might be on my top five of, of uh, everything I saw this year. Um, what won't be in on my top five is Free Guy. I, I finally saw that because <laughs> I'm a gamer. I love Ryan Reynolds. I love all these people in it. I love Jodie Cormer. I've seen all of uh, Killing Eve, which I love her in. Little Real Howery's in this. I love Joe Keery from Stranger Things. Taika Waititi is... That, you know, fucking Taika Waititi, what else you can say? Channing Tatum is in this. Have you seen uh, Free Guy? I haven't I haven't seen it yet. Um, yeah. I mean, I never, yeah, I didn't see it when it was in theaters because I never felt like a rush. It was one of, kind of those things I was like, I'll see it when they put it on Disney Plus or Hulu. Um, I, I was, yeah, I had no real kind yeah. of rush to go out and see this one. Yeah, you don't you don't need to rush to see this at all. This is terrible. <laughs> Let me just name off some of the <laughs> scripts. Let me name off some of the scripts that Zach Penn, the writer of this movie, has done. And uh, so he did uh, Electra in two thousand five. He did X Men two, which was I I think it's better than people remember it. He did the Incredible Hulk uh, screenplay, the first uh, MCU Hulk movie. He did Ready Player One. So that's that'll tell you everything you need to know right there. Um, he contributed <laughs> yeah. to the first Avengers film, so not a great resume for this guy. For not a lot of good, you know, writing DNA in this film, and it's it's like yeah, just no. guys, you're. You are marketing this to gamers, right? You you want video gamers to see this is about an NPC in a video game. So right there, you're you're 
putting uh, front and center a very, um, you know, kind of an obscure reference. If you haven't played video games, you don't know what NPC means. So right there, you are targeting this towards gamers. Why the fuck are you making a hacky joke like four or five times for this movie? Gamers are just people that sit in their mom's basement and play video games and covered in Cheeto dust. Who are you? Are you like 1995 (laughs) fucking Dennis Miller? What are you doing? Why would you make that joke? It's the same as like the Big Bang Theory. You know how like the Big Bang Theory is like, supposed to be you know a comic a a show for you know this kind of like subculture um but it really is just like oh haha they're the butt of it like these these guys are the butt of every joke it's the same kind of thing as that and um i mean hopefully it doesn't have the you know toxic masculinity overtones that the big bang theory has but it's still just like it's not really a comedy for gamers as much as it's kind of like oh we'll get the gamers but also we'll get everybody else who's in a gamer by making fun of the gamers and you know, yeah. So, yeah. me also being a big video game fan, uh, that's that's discouraging to hear. It's it's terrible, and I would be so curious to know to to ask Ryan Reynolds or Channing Tatum or Taika Waititi. You know, did you read the script? Did you get a script to this? Were you like, where <laughs> did you did you owe somebody a favor to do this? Did they offer you like <laughs> a shit ton of money? Because these guys are very very funny. Taika Waititi is one of the funniest people in the world. Like he writes, you know, mm-hmm. did uh, you know obviously um, Thor Ragnarok and uh, what they do in the shadows, and he's just a very funny person in general. And he's just regurgitating these terrible hacky flat jokes over and over again, and it's so awkward and so embarrassing to see somebody this funny and know what funny is to be saying these lines with this with this vigor and this enthusiasm it's terrible it's because i just got um my i just got letterboxd pro for because i just uh there was the black friday sale so it was like 12 bucks to get a year so i was like yeah you know fuck it i'll do it um and i looked at and they gave me the option to like look at my uh directors by like highest rating my number one director by rating was Taika Waititi because I have rated, yeah. I've seen four of his movies and I've rated all four of them at five stars, which yeah. were Thor Ragnarok, uh, Jojo, um, What We Do in the Shadows, and um, oh my god. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. I don't know. There was one more. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Hunt for the Wilder People. I'll rated yeah. all of them uh, five stars. The only one, I, the only director I've seen that I did all those, the close second was Damien Chazelle. I've had three, I've seen three of his yeah. movies and I rated all of them five stars. But yeah, um, so he, like you said, he's absolutely hilarious. And, you know, I think it is one of those things where him being kind of an actor slash director slash writer, sometimes, you know, when it's when it's his creative project, like, wow, this is pretty great. Um, when it's not his creative project, yeah. you can kind of see like, oh, you know, this is not this is not as great, you know. Nope. Nope. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Avoid that quickly. Yeah. Um, so moving on, uh, you saw Tick, Tick, Boom. This is a new film, first mm-hmm. film directed by Lynn Lin Manuel Miranda, starring Andrew Garfield. Um, you got Vanessa, Vanessa Hudgens here, and I am not um, a musical guy. I, I I watched Hamilton when it came out on Disney Plus. I really enjoyed that. I'm trying to dip my toe into the musical world. It's going okay <laughs> so far. <laughs> um, tell me first, what did you think of Tick Tick Boom? Uh, I did not like it. <laughs> um, yeah, I I am a a musical guy, I guess. Like I, I did musical theater. I in high school, um, I was actually a theater major in college for a while, um, for three semesters. And then watching this movie reminded me how much I hated that entire world, and I hated all of those people. Just how entitled everyone was, and how everyone yeah. thought they were the most amazing person, and just how annoying 
all of that could be that entire just mentality. Um, yeah. I, I mean, and I know that it's a real person and this is real life, but also it was just like, hey, look at this straight white guy surrounded by very, very like interesting, diverse people, um, you know, of all kinds of different backgrounds. And most of his, fr- and like there's this whole running current about, you know, the AIDS epidemic and how that's affecting the gay community. But it's told through the perspective of a straight dude. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, even he's idolizing Stephen Sondheim, who, you know, is another old white dude who at the time was closeted. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's no indication in the movie that, like, you know, he's not anything other than just another straight white idol for this guy. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I don't, like, if you're getting into musicals, I think this is, you know, not a good one to uh get it's some of them are tough i I won't lie like i there's not a lot of great like this is a broadway like style musical um you know like you can watch some movies are like wow this is kind of more of like you know more of kind of just you know uh like la la land i think is a much more accessible and better film um when it comes to like a musical it doesn't feel like it's a show like a broadway show this feels like a broadway show that just happens to a movie and I mean Andrew Garfield. I didn't know he could sing. Like good for him. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I had yeah. a lot of problems with this film. Yeah, yeah, I did too. Um, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Um, I think overall, if you come away from a movie that is musical centered and you don't want to play the songs afterwards, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and I really didn't want to play any of these songs. They had, none of them really had a catchy melody. I understand a catchy melody is is not everything, but you know. If, I don't remember many of these songs from this. I think Boho Days was the only one that I really liked. Um, and that 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 mm-hmm. preview of that, that trailer that had Boho Days in there, got me on board. I was like, oh, shit, this seems like a really – if all the songs are like this, they're very acapella, very interestingly shot, very interestingly uh, choreographed, I'll, I'm, I'm all in. And pretty much none of them – lived up to that, lived up to uh, Boho Days. Very conventional in terms of, I don't know how, how a musical song sounds, but it seems like that. Um, I think we should mention, you know, Seems How I Just Passed Away, just like, what, two, day, two days ago, I believe? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all this, all this stuff that's been coming out about it, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree with completely everything we said about, you know, he wrote Rent, which unfortunately he didn't see uh, to fruition. It came out like the day he died of an aneurysm. And I do I do feel bad just because, you know, I am sympathetic to the starving artist, to that whole thing of like putting, trying, trying and trying to get something off the ground and getting it out there and getting people to see it. But and he tried for eight years to make uh, Superbia or some this Tick, Tick, Boom is the making yeah. of... Uh, Tick Tick Boom, which was a play based on him trying to write a play previously, and it's just again, it's it's this like uh, rushing nesting doll of this play about a play about writing a play. I love movies about making plays about making movies. Cinedosh New York is one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, the um, what's his name? Andy Kaufman? Not Andy Kaufman. Uh, I said this last time. It was only Andy Kaufman. The uh, oh uh, Kaufman, um, right? Uh- Charlie Kaufman, right? Charlie Kaufman, yeah. One of my favorite movies of his is Cinedosha, New York, which is so much about the writing process and about getting a play out there and about the process of doing that. 
and this is that too, but it's just so like, uh, I'm broke, I'm living in New York, I have a shitty apartment, I'm working this job, blah, 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 and it's just such a- I'm terrible to uh, my girlfriend. Terrible to my girlfriend, and he's like, I'm tapping and my I'm tapping my finger on her shoulder as she's trying to make up with me, and it's just that story you've heard a thousand times, and I don't think it has an, uh, mm. uh, a new or interesting perspective on it, so yeah. Didn't care yeah, for no. that, unfortunately. Yeah, and he's like his friend, you know, his his gay friend is dying from AIDS, and yes. he kind of has that super condescending line to him where he's just like, like he, his friend is like, oh well, you know, you're in love, and like, you know, I would give anything for that. He's like, why don't you do it? And he's like, um, it's gay. I, I, I'm it's I'm gay, and it's the 1990s. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I have yeah. AIDS. Like, like uh, he's just so like absorbed it's that kind of you know starving yeah. artist but so self-centered thing yes that like the problems that everyone else doesn't matter all that matters is your art which as good as it is you know it, you sacrifice all the lives and like don't care about anyone else's problems i knew so many people like that as a theater major that i was like i don't want I, i'm just dragging me back to like all these things that just like really bugged me in that world that i i'm kind of glad i got out of um, so there were some yeah. good things too, but there was there's a lot of negativity that came with that. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I was I was looking forward to that, but fortunately, uh, can't recommend that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Have you seen yeah, a Quiet no. Place Part Two? Sorry, what was it? Uh, have you seen a Quiet Place Part Two? I have. Yeah, yeah. I saw that one back when it first came out. Um, it was one of the first movies I got to see in theaters, I think. Um, and it's fine. It's like, oh, yeah. this is a solid sequel to a very good movie like it's not as good as yeah. a quiet place one i don't think by any stretch of the imagination um but it's 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 fine you know i i was um i was ta- uh talking to i think yeah i was uh trisha oran who does um who's on my show recently we're kind of talking about after we did our show about you know kind of movies that like take these sequels that like t- take big swings and do all these d- different interesting things and we kind of talk about how on her show one of the movies she talked about was a quiet place too and how it just kind of, you know, basically, if you know, a, a movie is a big swing where they just try and they strike out. This was like almost like a bunt, where it's just kind of like, yeah, like <laughs> we got we got on base, we did all we needed to do, didn't try anything too crazy, and all right, I I can accept that. You know, it's it's not changing the formula or breaking the mold. You know, it's not Bill and Ted two where they're going in a way interesting direction. It's just like, all right, here's some more of the same. You'll like the first. You'll like this too. Yeah, yeah, I pretty much um, echo everything you said. Um, I have a couple of friends who who have kids, and they don't. <laughs> they watch the Quiet Place Part One, and like they fucking killed the baby in the first, or the youngest kid in the first five minutes. That's terrible. <laughs> hated that movie. I hated the parents. Felt nothing for them. Um, and in this movie, spoiler again for this movie, but near the end, you have what the the ten year old I think was played by uh, Noah Jupe. He was Marcus. He mm, he had yeah. the baby in that like. Um, uh, forge or, or it was like a um, what you call it, like a factory thing. Oh, it was like yeah, a with the boiler with the or something safe and everything. Yeah, he was yeah. The, him and the baby were in the boiler and trying to stay away from the monsters, and the the air is running out and he's about to die and the baby's about to die. I'm like, holy fuck! I'm not. I only have a kid. I don't want kids, but this is terrifying me on behalf of people <laughs> that do have kids. So I think uh, from that perspective of just making you you know feel anxious and feel nervous, I think it, it succeeded there. But yeah, it's it, like you said, it's a mm-hmm. very nice one of those. It's probably you know solid seven point five, maybe a low eight for just some of the action sequences were 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 well done. But yeah, overall it was fine. Um, 
Yeah, I liked yeah. I like I like Celine Murphy. He's one of my favorite working actors today. I think he was really good in this. I really liked his interaction with uh, Regan, Regan or Regan, uh, played by Millicent Simmons, an actual mm-hmm. uh, deaf deaf actor. Uh, really interesting um, use of sound. Again, I love I love when people do interesting with things with sound, like with. Um, Sound of Metal did very interesting things with sound. With that, again, with a you know hearing impaired person yeah. there, thought these shots and the perspective from her perspective was very interesting to to make a sound stop when you're when you're from her when you're looking from her perspective. That was pretty cool. But yeah, just a pretty good one. I would I would you know recommend yeah, yeah, watching yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, solid, solid uh, sequel. Like it. Solid sequel, exactly. I th- I really like the parallel, the shot at the end with the parallel kids doing killing the thing at the end. That was an interesting interesting uh, shot scene there yeah kind of a waste of yeah. uh jamin hansu though like he, he doesn't even have a name i don't think in this movie yeah uh which one what was his name uh, uh jamin hansu he's the um the guy they go to the island he's the guy oh, from um, yes 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 he's in guardians of the galaxy he's yeah. gladiator that guy yeah literally on imdb he's he has his name is man on island <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's weird it's always weird when you can't even give a person a name in the credits uh let's see uh have you seen the green knight Oh, I, I loved The Green Knight. Maybe, yes. maybe my favorite movie of the year. Yes. Yes, it is. It's one of those. It's an A24 film. It's directed by David Lowry. He did uh, A Ghost Story. He did Peace Dragon. He did uh, Old Man and the Gun. Um, I feel like you have to definitely be on this guy's wavelength when you're watching his movies, right? Especially The Green Knight. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, I because I, I think it's a, it's a very, very divisive film, and I, I get yeah. why, like... It's kind of like, what is happening? Like, they go to this weird, like, like the person I saw with kept referring to it as the Bang Castle. And just like, <laughs> what? Okay, so his there's his girlfriend, but it's not him. And it's just, it's got that A24 weirdness, you know. Um, yeah. I'm a really, really big David Lowry fan. Um, Pete's Dragon is, is one of my favorite movies. I absolutely love that movie. Ghost Story is weird as shit. I still don't know if I like that movie yeah. or not. Um, but yeah, yeah, when I watched this movie, we were kind of walking out. I was like, I think I like that. I just had to think about it for like a week, and I was like, Yeah, <laughs> this was this was fucking great. Like it was so weird yeah. and metaphorical, and just there's so much symbolism in it. And I'm a really big fan of like mythology and the King Arthur legend. And they've made a million King Arthur legend movies, but they're all about like the same exact thing. They're all about like Arthur and Lancelot, and just kind of like that whole dynamic and Merlin there and the quest. But it was nice to see kind of this other story, you know, the Green Knight legend, which is connected. Because the Arthur legends are like this big, they're like the MCU is today where you have all of these yeah. different characters and like it spans decades and UK. So there's the this character who goes off over here and this might be like, you know, the Green Knight's almost like Thor the Dark World where it's this kind of like smaller side story that doesn't really affect any of like, you know, anything going on in a lot of the main story and Instead of, you know, like, but, you know, they just keep making the same King Arthur movie, you know, over and over again with these same kind of characters and the same basic beats. So it was really interesting to see a, a different take on that and to kind of see just David Lowry's weirdness. I'm glad that because the original cut, apparently he changed a lot that was supposed to come out like it was done and then COVID hit. So he tweaked it over the year to kind of make a film that he was um, a lot more proud of. And I'm glad that that happened. That was, I think... Um, one of the few benefits we've gotten for, you know, the movies being slowed down was we got a more, um, a better cut of the Green Knight. Yeah, he did an interview with Joanna Robertson for uh, Vanity Fair, and he said he wanted to do an extended sequence to achieve something very specific. He said, quote, I wanted to write an ending where his head gets chopped off, and that's a positive thing, he says. That's a happy ending. 
He faces his his fate bravely, and there's honor and integrity in that, but that doesn't mean that he's dead. He's killed. He received the blow that he was dealt, and all is set right within the universe of the film. So, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, no, that that's that pretty much hits it. Yeah, that's that's yeah. spot on. That's great. You know, I, that's a good explanation by unlike him that I didn't really think about, but yeah, that that makes sense. Yeah, very, very beautiful film. They filmed it in Ireland. Some of these just astonishing vistas of Ireland uh, being shot there with giant lens. I have a pretty decent TV, so it looked very, very good on that. I think, um, you know, great cinematography, like I said, great uh, fight choreography or whatever. Great acting can really elevate a film um, higher than normally. So, yeah, really great film. Yeah, I think this was like I'm not usually the biggest Dev Patel fan, but I thought he was incredible yeah. in this. He was incredible in this. Yes, I love I loved him. I think he's, um, I think he's in the like the short list for the next uh, Bond. I could definitely see him doing that. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, that could be interesting. That would make sense. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, have you seen Ryan and the Last Dragon? Yeah, I, I only watched it recently. Um, it was some one of the because I remember when it came out, and you know, it was like one of those ones that you could. Like, uh, I think pay for it in Disney Plus, pay the 30 bucks. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And then yeah. even when it came on Disney Plus, I never really got around to it until a little bit ago, like like maybe a month or so ago, I finally got around to watching it. Um, but it was pretty solid, you know. Um, I think that the there's one too many um, origins. Like, there's, there's a lot that needs to be set up. It's like, okay, so there was this thing. There was these bad guys, this evil, the kind of like, um, you know, these evil guys who showed up and they turned everyone to stone yeah. and that was like that for 500 years but then we defeated them but and but now they're back and it was it was just kind of too much it was like you need to kind of like condense like the backstory for this make it more simplified i guess and just kind of like you don't need all these different steps to get to the apocalypse that ended and then caught then there was prosperity but then it was another apocalypse it's uh but i did like it you know it's it's not the best disney animated film that we've got in a while um there, there was some cool lore stuff in it. I think the Benedict Wong character is my favorite character, and his kind of like friendship that yeah. he develops with the baby. Um, I think that was the real strong point of the film was kind of these unexpected relationships between characters that develop that you're not really expecting them to kind of form these friendships in the way they do. I think was the strongest part about it. Yeah, absolutely. It had the thing I heard about it was just like a very. Um... What was the uh, How to Train Your Dragon? It had that sort of like feel to it, very inventive, uh, very uh, jaw-dropping uh, visuals, and I felt like it was it was okay in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of great detail uh, in terms of the character design. I thought the that the world itself was pretty decent looking, um, but yeah, like you said, it, it pretty much all. Uh, fell on the character development. I think that, that was probably the strongest part of the, of the movie. Yeah, it was fine. I, I we were talking about this in terms of uh, best animated stuff of the year, and I think Luca probably, you know, stronger than that. I would say. Yeah, I, w- I would definitely put Luca ahead of this. Yeah, yeah. So again, just another <laughs> decent, decent uh, movie to watch. If you, if you have Disney Plus, you might as well watch this. Um, yeah, throw it. It's one of those movies. Like, yeah. Throw it on. You know, you won't be sorry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to talk about Midnight Mass. Midnight Mass was one of the best things I've seen this year. I'm a huge Mike Flanagan fan. I loved, um, what was it, The Honey of Hill House was my favorite things that year. I haven't seen Honey of Blind Manor yet, um, but I loved, loved, loved uh, Dr. Sleep. That was really great. Um, so what did you think mm. of Midnight Mass? Midnight Mass, I thought was incredible. Like, one of the best limited series I think I've seen. Like, the best one since at least The Queen's Gambit. Maybe even more yeah. than that. I 
this this um i'm i i uh i've only think i've seen by flanagan um dr sleep i haven't seen any of the haunting ones that are so popular um it's and i it's nothing against them, i just haven't gotten around to them but when yeah. i found out about this uh i was like oh this feels like specifically like made right up for like for me like all the stuff i'm very interested in like a horror thing where it's kind of like about you know this kind of like re- re- this all these religious themes and i because i love that kind of stuff like i love it whenever like lindelof touches on those and like prometheus and lost and uh, the leftovers especially he they kind of delve into these themes about you know god and religion and how people interpret different like religion and can twist things and just i was very interested in all of that um you know and then just how how it is also like a vampire story and it brings in all this stuff and just this it's this insular little community and i i absolutely loved it um i just watched it recently i i watched it kind of uh, a little bit after halloween so i i was a little behind everybody else but man this was a great show um hamish linklater wow we yes. are sleeping on this dude between this yeah. and legion oh my yes. god this guy is like i feel like the next big thing like he yes. is incredible he deserves like some kind of award for this like i don't know just like gosh get that get this man some more parts because he is <laughs> he is the glue that holds this show together i think he's such an interesting character where he is he is a good guy and he has great intentions but he is so clearly flawed and blinded by um you know he's able to rationalize things not in a bev keen way where she kind of just makes everything you know she does that's awful just rationalizes them he like yeah. actually cares about people and kind of rationalizes his own selfish ends in through the veil of religion and i just really love that it's also just really cool interesting horror that um even though it's about catholicism and catholic guilt you know does touch on other religions and just kind of you know it has the whole storyline with the sheriff and you know that speech he gives about you know him joining law enforcement after 9-11 is was so good but yeah, yeah. i i cannot recommend midnight mass enough uh 10 out of 10 incredible limited series yeah yeah it's really well said i completely agree with everything you said um mike flanagan apparently grew up in salem this is a deeply personal uh story for him um i grew up you know Basically, you know, that kid that your mom gra- uh, dragged you to church every Sunday. <laughs> I was like 15. I was, big, I, was, I was big enough to say, no, we're not. I'm actually not doing that anymore. Um, so I have, you know, tangential <laughs> relationship with religion mm-hmm. and Catholicism and all that stuff. And you're right. It is such a great um, investigation of that. I love the idea of somebody of the angel, right? The, the descriptions of angel in the Bible and how they are very, they run parallel with descriptions of modern day vampires. You know, everything, mm-hmm. <laughs> everything you could read yeah. about angels in, in the Bible can be uh, said about, said about vampires too. And it's such a weird thing of like, they, you know, drink, you drink Jesus' blood, just like, you know, vampires drink your blood and you eat their body and blah, blah, blah. And all that, all that stuff was, you know, so to, to, to see that, to, to find the parallels in that and make a compelling story uh, around it was, was astounding. Um, let me see. Kate Siegel was incredible in this. I think a lot of people were mm-hmm. saying how there's so many like discussions between uh, Aaron and Riley, and those the, the monologues that they give are too long. I think you know 
there was a lot of monologues. I won't say there wasn't, <laughs> but they, that is what the show, uh, you know, essentially was about was people having conversations with other people. And, you know, like you said, with the, with the sheriff trying to communicate with Bev about his religion and how he doesn't want the religion taught in the school. And just, I think it's a lot about, you know, communication and how communica- communication breaks down when you have somebody that, you know, is so committed and so like, uh, I forget what the word is, but you're so religiously oriented and you just can't see anything beyond that. And if anybody threatens that, even to say like, you can't just, we just don't want you to say that in school. And it's like, how dare you ostracize me? I'm the victim here, blah, blah, blah. And like, no, no, you're really not. If you just shut up and listen for a second, you would hear why, why you weren't. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. 10 out of 10, incredible, incredible acting. Um, the sheriff was incredible. Like you said, um, Hamish Linklater was incredible as the priest as, you know, he, um, that, that first scene, the first time it gets weird <laughs> where he's curing yeah. the girl and everybody starts feeling better. It is this in, this indictment on not just Catholicism, but also, um, uh, you know, cult, cultish behavior. You know what I mean? Anything can become a cult. Yeah. Anything can then can turn turn like that. And it's very much about that. It's very much about faith, about, you know, what are you going to see after you die? Where are you going to that, that, you know, that discussion between Riley and Aaron on their couch about what do you think happens, happens after you die is some of the best writing I've ever heard. Yeah. I completely agree. One of the best things I've saw a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, like I think, yeah, those, the monologues, that's what makes the show. Like all the other stuff is like cool, but like that, like you have to have that theme there to make this, more than just like popcorn to make this like as deep and like interesting and have this commentary on the real world that there is. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really, really great, great show. Um, tell me about a movie I want to see that you saw, uh, Spencer directed by Pablo Rain. Spencer. I, this was a movie I was very, very excited for, um, for a lot of reasons. Um, obviously I think that, you know, the story of uh, Diana Spencer, uh, Princess Di, is very interesting. Um, you know, one of my early memories is she died when I was, like, six years old. So, that's she's always just kind of been, like, that's how I've known her. And for this to kind of focus on, you know, another part of her life and just kind of her deteriorating marriage, I think uh, is really interesting. Kristen Stewart, I think, is a perfect person to play her because I think, she, A, she's a really good actor who makes interesting choices. Um, and also, she's been unfairly like the same way that the media just like was horrible to princess diana they have been equally horrible um to kristen stewart and so i thought that she was a very very good fit to play this um you know i think that the supporting cast in this is is really solid as well um but i i was really let down by this film um i think that like and it's it's also um the cinematography i will say this movie looks incredible like like from the trailer, I, I all the shots. I was like, I'm very excited for this. Um, I do like this. Uh, forgetting the name of the cinematographer, but this person's work is um, always really good. But, but I think the the weak link in this is the writing is is just it's it's very very heavy handed at all times. Um, yeah. The movie feels like it's constantly at an eight, and it's constantly having Chris and Stewart act at an eight, and. Um, so that when things eventually go to a 10, you don't feel anything. There's nowhere for this movie to go because the tension right. is always so high and so uncomfortable. And I get that's kind of a point, but it doesn't – like I would have really liked a more nuanced portrayal of Princess Diana. She 
she just kind of just feels like, oh, this is a person that's clearly suffering from some um, mental trauma and just kind of, uh, you know, it. and everyone, like all the like little people like her, but I'm like, why? She's just kind of just, you know, like she's not, she's just like constantly just kind of like going through all these things and you, you feel bad for her, but it's just. It's. I don't like the way it handles mental health. Really, I. I don't yeah. think. Or there's a scene that is, you know, handles self self harm that I think is not handled in a very good manner. Um. So I. I wanted so badly to like it, but I think that it is a a victim of a uh, very subpar script. Oh, that's that's unfortunate. Um. So the uh, cinematographer was Claire Mathone. She worked on Portrait of League and Fire, Celine Sciamma's, uh movie, and she also probably shot her new one that I really want to see called uh, Petit Maman. Um. So that's the cinematographer you're thinking of. And um, the thing I've heard, let me ask you um, about this movie. Johnny Greenwood did the score for this. How was the score for this movie? The score is incredibly unnerving. Um. So I I think it does it does what it sets out to accomplish, which is make you feel very very uncomfortable. Um, so I think that the score is also really well done. Yeah, yeah. Johnny Greenwood is one of these guys who's just uh, cranking out scores after score. He did The Master, he did There Will Be Blood, a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson films. Him and um, Trent Reznor, I think, are making some of the best scores today. Um, yeah, yeah, Stephen, definitely. Stephen Knight wrote Spencer. Um, his his resume is is massive. Uh, he wrote Locke in 2013. Do you know? Did you hear the uh, about the end of Serenity that he wrote? Uh, no, I've heard that it's wild and that it's like one yeah. of the worst endings of like of all time. Like <laughs> I I don't know what it is. I hear it's just like a twist that is just like what is happening right now. <laughs> yeah, I won't. I won't spoil it for you, but it it is wild. He he wrote that apparently. He does. He wrote um or is writing, uh, what is that show? Uh, Peaky Blinders. I love that show very much. So he's yeah. You said the writing doesn't uh very support the movie very well. That's unfortunate because Stephen Knight, um, seems like a very talented writer. So that's unfortunate. I'll probably I'll probably still check it out um eventually. Yeah, I would. I mean, I I hope you like. You know, um. It- it might even be the director because, you know, he's the same guy who did Jackie, which um, I haven't seen, but I heard it also kind of runs into a lot of problems with its the way it handles its female protagonist. Um, so, yeah. Um, another one I'm really looking forward to see is Belfast, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Uh, tell me what you thought of that. Uh, Belfast was fine. Uh, I, I really didn't have that strong feelings for it. It was kind of what I was expecting, which is like, okay, like, it's... You know, it's it's an interesting story. It's clearly very autobiographical of Kenneth Branagh's life, just him kind of growing up in Belfast. Um, I think it handles it better than, like, Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, but, uh, you know, some really great performances in it. Um, there's some tonal problems with it for me. Um, something that I uh, had it compared to was Jojo Rabbit, um, which it is, ah. you know, it is this kind of, like, it's through this kid, so there's this kind of like very naive lens that the movie is viewed through of this very serious issue. In you know the case of Jojo Rabbit, is it's the Holocaust. In the case of this, it's you know Irish terrorists in the '60s. And um, but I think that what works for Jojo Rabbit and why the tone doesn't feel as jarring in that is it will go from these kind of moments of childlike wonder to something very serious. Um, when it does that in Jojo Rabbit, the Nazis are played like idiots. They are clearly stupid. They're clearly doing all these things that are dumb. They're the butt of the joke. 
So even when it shifts to something more serious, it's like, okay, the people perpetrating this are morons and we're making fun of them, like, actively. Like, that scene with the, all the Heil Hitlers with the Gestapo going around, it's it's yeah. really great. Um, there's... In this, it just goes from, like, a sense of childlike wonder to, to, like, oh, here's a car bomb. And it just kind of, like, at any moment, you could be really experiencing either. Um, and it doesn't feel like it really transitions between that. Uh, there are some interesting characters. There's a kind of older female character that's kind of his friend that I think is a really cool, dynamic, interesting character. Um, there's a reference to Thor, which I thought was wild. I'm like, wow, okay, really? right. <laughs> uh, Kenneth Branagh directed Thor. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so overall, I'd say, you know, I think it's worth checking out. Like if you, yeah. if you're like, you know, like me and you are like, want to see all the movies that are in the running for best picture, I'd say yep. it's worth checking out. Um, but it's not one that I would rewatch probably. So when I first saw this and heard about, you know, I saw a trailer, I saw pictures of it, immediately reminded me of Roma from a couple of years ago. Um, does this uh, actually f- feel like Roma in uh, the movie itself? So I actually never saw Roma because I really oh, no. don't like Alfonso <laughs> Cuaron. So oh, I couldn't really? say other than, wow. I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's about, I guess like I see the parallels cause you know, on the surface, like it's a black and white movie about this director's life growing up in this, you know, other country. Um, so I, on the surface, I could see where you could definitely draw those parallels. Yeah. But it doesn't quite live. Oh, okay. So you haven't seen it. So it can't quite <laughs> say yeah. exactly. So I, I okay. wouldn't be able to, be able to wow. compare you. I'm not sure. Yeah. All right. Um, so yeah, I'll probably still check that out. It seems like, you know, I got to have, I got to fill everything out now. <laughs> fill it all the yeah, definitely, contenders. Definitely, like, yeah, I'd be curious, like both this and Spencer, I'd be curious to see, yeah. hear what you think. Um, you know, if you'd like them more than me, like Belfast is fine. Um, I really, like, you know, I hope you like Spencer more than I did because I wanted to like it, but it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. Um, let's see. I watched this morning to catch up for the podcast, The Heart of They Fall. Um, this is a Netflix film directed by uh, Regina King, uh, also starring Regina King and, and Idris Elba. Uh, what'd you think of this? Yeah, I, I really liked it. Um, this is fun. Like, it's it's not like a yeah. deep, like, you know, crazy story or anything. You know, it's it's just kind of like, hey, you know what? It is good. It is good to be like, there were a lot of black cowboys. There was a lot of really yeah. famous ones. We're kind of just going to put them all in the same movie, even though it doesn't make sense. And just kind of like tell a fun, cool Western story. That's like not insane, but it's cool. It's a good way to spend two hours. I really liked it. I liked a lot of the performances, um, you know, better than average movie, uh, I would say for sure. I, I really like, you know, some of these characters are like, you know, Bass Reeves, especially after like, you know, they talk about him a little bit in Watchmen. I always thought I've always been really interested by him. Um, just all these different kind of like people. I like how just it's almost like completely devoid of any non-black characters. Like this is just a black movie set in a time where it makes sense. And I feel like in a lot of movies like this, you would kind of like, you know, like Django and Chain, you kind of like shoehorn in like the Christoph Waltz character and the Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio character. But this is like, no, the good guys are black. The black, bad guys are black. Like everybody is, you know, just like it's it's there's one scene where you like go to the white town and it's so just like like it literally is like the walls and stuff are painted white. It's like this whole other world. And that just kind of drives home that like there was this whole other world of like people that existed in the Wild West that we never really see on film. And I really appreciated yeah. that. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, what, watching this movie, I'm thinking about all, like you said, all those stories that either aren't being told or just are, are completely erased from history. It's, it's such a shame because, you know, just the past couple of years, I've learned about, you know, um, Fred Hampton, learned about the, the freaking... Um, was it called the, the Tulsa race massacre, all of this stuff that just like, mm-hmm. uh, America wasn't really that racist or, you know, all these people fucking, they want to take books <laughs> out of, out of schools and say like, uh, critical race theory is it Were we really that bad? Yeah, you really were actually, you were, you were that bad and worse <laughs> to many people, not just yep. African-Americans, you know, the native Americans, Mexicans, mm-hmm. Irish at a certain point, Germans, every, every freaking person that has come to America has had to adore just decades and centuries of just being kicked in the balls over and over again. It's terrible. Awful. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this was, this was really fun. This was really fun. I got to make a correction real quick. Uh, Regina King didn't direct this. She directed, um, uh, what was it? I just had it pulled up one night. One night in Miami last year. I thought. I think she was just oh, like yeah. doing doing a uh, press circuit. That's why I associated her with directing this. But it was actually uh, James James uh, Samuel directed this. Uh, but yeah, she was she was fantastic in this. Apparently, you know, um, at the end, obviously she's still alive. So it's going to be interesting to see if they did that shot to be like part two coming down the pike. And I, I would absolutely be on board for it. I absolutely watch a part two of this. Yeah, that's actually very fun. Very fun little film. Yeah, uh, fun, let's fun, see. like you know, fun movie. Yeah. Very fun, yeah. But you know, sometimes you just want a little fun movie to watch, little little palate cleanser. Yeah. Uh, let me talk about one thing real quick. The uh, Kitchen, Kitchen Confidential was something that I've been looking forward to reading for a long time. Anthony Bourdain, I think, is one of the most interesting people that's ever uh, lived. Really, <laughs> so the way he he just handled yeah. himself. He's he's one of these grizzled, um, old. Uh, chefs from I think it was the Bronx or or Brooklyn, um, very very interesting person. He started his career out I guess in Provincetown. Not it's 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 you know part of Massachusetts, but it's it's about as far from from left side of Massachusetts as you can get. It's the the tip of Cape Cod basically, and that's where he started his career. Um, I live in the western side, so it's about four hours from from there. But um, very very interesting guy, incredible writer, incredible speaker. I was almost in tears listening to this guy because you know the the I think the rarest quality in people now, but also just in general, is empathy and compassion and the the need to um, express that empathy to other people, to spread empathy to other people. And that's what he really did with this book and with his show, Parts Unknown, and no reservations of just sitting down with people and being like, we're really all the same. You know, everyone needs food, everyone needs water. So let me sit down and break bread with all sorts of people, all sorts of ethnicities and cultures and do this thing for 15 years. And such a such a loss for the world when he died in 2018. So I actually read his book, very, very good book. I highly recommend Kitchen, Kitchen Confidential. It's about an eight-hour book, very quick read, very fun read. Um, and incredible life he, he led. Um, went back and watched some of the parts unknown uh, like they're on on Prime or HBO Max, one of them. I watched The Bronx. That was a very good episode. Um, I'm from Massachusetts, so I watched the one he did there. He went to Provincetown, where he started his career. He went to Greenfield, which is not far from where I live. And I don't know how it is over the, uh, uh, where where you're at, but we were, you know, massive opioid addiction, opioid epidemic, and uh, heroin epidemic is just ravaging the area around here. I think that's big. A big part of the um, employment problem right now that people aren't talking about is COVID, but it's also the opioid epidemic that's going on here, where you just have this massive part of this population just just getting decimated by by drugs and uh, things like that. So he sat down with people in Greenfield. 
and uh, Shelburne Falls talked to a talked to a um, a chef that went to the Culinary Institute of America where Bourdain went to, came back home and is trying to you know get back to the community there. So that was nice. Um, and then watched the episode with him and Obama in Hanoi, and it was just you know great, great, great interviewer, great, great. Um, Questioner of people. He again, it's just a very curious person. Asked great questions of, of of Obama. It's it's fascinating to see somebody like Obama um, and Bourdain just sit down and have a meal in the middle of a diner in Hanoi. I think this was shot in 2016. So he's he's talking about you know Trump wanting to build the wall, and it's just like what are we doing? What's going on? It's just such a such a again such a loss. Such a great person. I'd highly recommend reading his book and watching Parts Unknown. Yeah, just just a great guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always been a really big Bourdain fan, you know. I was a really big fan of No Reservations, and then, you know, um, Parts Unknown, when he was doing that, CNN. I thought it was, I remember just this quote um, when he was like, when we first started doing this show, it was kind of like about what people are eating, but it's kind of became about what people aren't eating, and just, you know, the empathy that he had. Um, I think he was just so, so interesting. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, I love Bourdain. I need to read Kitchen Confidential. It's on my list of uh, things, um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, the reason I picked up this now is uh, his producer, Tom Vitalis, uh, put out a new book about the making of that show called In the Weeds. So I'm about halfway through that. It's very good as well. So uh, let's see. Uh, you watched Woodstock in 99. I'm highly interested in this because I'm a 90s, sort of 90s kid. Uh, late 90s was my prime era of music listening to or listen to, you know, all those guys, Limp Bizkit, Linkin Park. Um, all that rap rock, all that new metal, that was my jam <laughs> back then. So um, what did you think of Woodstock 99? I thought this was a really just interesting film. Um, it's it's done by, um, uh, you know, The Ringer uh, and Bill Simmons, like his kind of, yep. they're putting up music box documentaries. This was the first of them. And I'm, you know, a really, really big fan of music festivals. So this was very interesting to me. And it like just seeing how much of a, like I was kind of went in being like, okay, let's let's see how this is disaster of you know like a music festival in the same way that like the Firefest was, or in a very different way I guess than the Firefest was. Um, and I'd watched those documentaries when they came out, um, so I was interested to check out this one from the '90s, and it really does you know talk about like all of the kind of like that me- that uh that feeling of just all this toxic masculinity and a lot of these bands that were like you know, all the just kind of like white males and like white male privilege that existed and that kind of just bubbled up and like came to a front here and just, you know, seeing the produce, like the people who put on the festival, just like one of them is just, oh my God, he's the scum of the earth and just all the things he's saying where he just kind of like, he basically says that thing about like, well, you know, women, you know, if they dress like this, maybe it's their fault. Just like that kind of thing. And just, oh my God. Like it's, it's, if you, yeah, if you are interested in that kind of like, Limp Biscuit, that new middle, like Chili Peppers, like on of the, all this, you know, thing. It's it's it, and especially in the '90s when we just had this boiling anger, and America didn't really have an enemy like they did, you know, with the Soviet Union in the '80s or with terrorism in the 2000s onward. You know, it everybody was just angry, didn't have a way to point it, and just all this privilege. It's really interesting, kind of like examination of that I thought and also just kind of like of the music industry and just how all this is perpetuated and yeah I I, I really liked it all I thought it was very very um, yeah I'll definitely check it out that is very difficult to watch at some points I will say there was times when I was like disgusted and kind of like had to like pause it for a second yeah yeah there's you know there's um there's you know talk about 
Woodstock 99, the thing that always brought, brought up is like the, the mud fighting and the sexual assaults is that's the two things mm-hmm. <laughs> and the $8, $8 waters and hot dogs and just, just how badly organized it all was and all of that. Yeah, exactly. To- toxic masculinity of that era and of that music, Limp Biscuit, Corn. I'm not sure Corn was, but definitely I'm trying to look through the list here of people that were there. But just so many, so much of that angry, just like rap rock bullshit that, you know, I listened to when I was four, what was I, 13 or 14 around 99. So that was definitely in my wheelhouse. But now, you know, I'm able to look back on that stuff and be like, that's not good music. Like, <laughs> I'll put on, like, if, yeah. you, if you put on like break stuff by Limp Bizkit, that's a, that's a, you know, you'll get up and dance to it, I guess, once. But it is, it is such a gross, like, like you said, thought process and how they treated women and just, I think we talked uh, when you were on last, like 99 was a great year in movies. They had Fight Club, they had Office Space, they had this these, this culture and this mentality back then of just like, what are we doing? What is What does it mean to be a man? I'm just working at a 95 office job. I don't feel like I'm, like my father, grandfather were the greatest generation. They fought in world wars in Vietnam and I'm just here punching holes and making money for a guy just want to get aggression out because this is this is obviously Hillary's fault or fucking uh, <laughs> Bill Clinton's fault for getting a blowjob, blah, blah, blah. So there's got to be a woman at the fault here. And it's just, yeah, exactly. That, that whole uh, misguided and um, trying to put blame where it's not supposed to be, you can't put blame anywhere because you don't know where to put it. And it's just like, yeah, just boiling over of bad music, bad singers, with bad intentions, singing very loud, very angry music is is a is a recipe for disaster. So yeah, I I don't know. Mm. Looking back on it, you have twenty twenty uh, vision. Looking back on stuff like that, but just <laughs> how did you not see that coming? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, what what's this uh, behind the attraction? Is that a podcast? So that's um a uh, TV show on Disney Plus. Um, that basically oh, yes, every episode yes. kind of delves into the history of like a different theme park ride um, at Disneyland. Um, and I don't know, like I, I'm a big theme park guy. You know, me growing up here in Anaheim. Uh, I don't know how big of a theme park you guy you are. Um, I we had Six Flags out here, so I was definitely out there. Went to Disneyland or Disney? What is that in Florida? Disney World down there. Uh, went to Disney, yeah, Disney World. World. Yeah, in Florida. Disney World down there a couple times as a kid. Yeah, I love. Love the giant roller coasters. Uh, the you know, faster the better. <laughs> so yeah, I'm definitely, mm-hmm. definitely on board yeah. with all that stuff. So yep. what this show, yeah, yeah. So what this show is, it's interesting because it's it's a lot like the show. It's clearly a ripoff of um that show. Uh, like the uh, what's it called? Where they? It's the Netflix show where they go into all. It's like I was gonna say behind the movies. That's not it. Uh, you know what I'm talking <laughs> about? But like here's a story. Uh, Back yeah. to the future and the complete. Yeah, the the, the toys um, that so made us. The, the movies that made us. Yeah, the movies that made us. It's clearly a ripoff of the movies that made us. Um, and much like the movies that made us, it's very annoying. Like, there's yeah. all these just, like, kind of, like, well, actually, like, it'll, like the voiceover announcer will, sh- like, have a clip and the little, like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, you know, the the announcer's not as bad in this one. She's, you know, um, I think some the, the announcer in the movies that made us is insufferable with all the weird sound effects they do. And they do a lot of the same things like that where it's just kind of very hokey. But I'm so interested in the actual stories of, you know, in the case of uh, the Netflix show, the movies and how these iconic movies got made. And in the case of this show with how these theme parks attractions were made, because I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how did Space Mountain come to be? And okay, there was the original Space Mountain and then there was the one in Disneyland and then there was this one and like all these stories I'm, I'm very interested in. 
Um, if you are, if anybody who is a big Disney fan, I would really recommend it to. It is pretty niche. Like it's, um, if you like these rides, I would say check it out. But if you're not invested in these rides, I can't recommend it. <laughs> does it? How far does it go up to? Because I think the the most fascinating thing for me for the for rides and attractions and theme parks and like Disney World in itself is such a massive thing now with all the all the different properties they have, right? With the Marvel and the Star Wars, how far up do they go to? They do they go up to like now ish or? Well, yeah, each episode goes up from like it's like very beginnings to absolutely the current iteration of it like the modern day like the first episode was jungle cruise obviously like dwayne johnson's a producer so it's kind of like part of it to like kind of build up that um that you know the D- jungle cruise movie yeah. but it goes from like like inception like walt's first thoughts of like seeing african queen and being like oh maybe this will be a ride to like what the ride is now today um each episode just focuses on one ride i feel like they were very particular but like they definitely are saving some rides for season two i'm like why would you have like great moments with mr lincoln in season one but (laughs) not pirates of the caribbean they're clearly like okay we've got to save some good rides for when we do some more episodes um because there's some like i really do not uh, the disneyland hotel is an episode like how is that more iconic than you know yeah i don't know so splash mountain uh which like or whatever it might be fascinating i'll have to check that out um, so coming to the end here, uh, what is Unobscured, a podcast? Yeah, Unobscured is, um, uh, it's a podcast. It's by Aaron Mankey, the guy who does lore. Um, oh, nice. So, uh, that one, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like uh, a longer form. Uh, this is his third season. Uh, so each season kind of like focuses on telling an in-depth like story of like kind of this third season or fourth season. Um, but yeah, it, uh, it's kind of this longer story like the one of the seasons is on the first season is on the salem witch trials um there's a season on spiritualism this one's on rasputin and kind of like an in-depth history on rasputin and the romanovs and kind of like the decline of the russian empire um so if anybody out there likes lore at all or this kind of like spooky stories um i really like this a lot um very nice yeah i like uh i liked uh what was his first show you mentioned uh aaron mankey's um oh lore lore, lore. yeah Lore, yeah, I love lore. Listen to that uh, a bunch of times. I, I am deep, deep, deep <laughs> into uh, mythology and legendy. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, the, the uh, Loch Ness monster, all urban legends, all that stuff. I've always been highly, oh, yeah, highly yeah. interested in that. So a lot of you know a lot of the ground he's covering is that stuff I'm I'm super familiar with. So I sort of dropped off on on lore for a while, but uh, I'm sure it sounds like a very uh, sounds like something I'll be highly interested in checking out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, definitely really interesting. I, I, I like well, a lot of the others, you know, a couple seasons up now. And, you know, unlike lore, which is good little tidbits, these are more, much more of a feast. Yeah. Um, you mentioned watching Woodstock 99, which was produced by The Ringer. And you have the rewatchables on here. Are you a Ringer guy? Because I'm all in on, like, the big picture, on rewatchables, on The Watch. Are you are you all in on other their podcasts? So I'm like just getting into it. I'm I'm like kind of like how did I not get into all this stuff before? Um, yeah. You know, because you know Bill Simmons is right up my alley with all this stuff. He taught like he's very pop culture and movie buff, and he's a big sports guy like I am. And he kind of you know he has all these different sports metaphors when he's ever he's talking about like a movie. He'll be like, oh yeah, this guy's like Jay Crowder. You know, oh my, which one? Of the, who's the LeBron of this movie? Or you know, it's like why Michael came back. It's like so all of his metaphors. I like get a hundred percent. I think he's really smart. Um, 
I'm a really, really big fan of the 30 for 30 series, which he kicked off at ESPN. That was kind of his baby. And, you know, since then, you know, leaving ESPN, he's gone on to kind of found the ringer. So I'm getting into that. Um, I'm dipping my toes and I've been binging episodes of the ringer. So I've just listened to like all these, you know, I just listened to the super bad episode because that's one of my favorite movies. And, um, just in a like Shawshank or, uh, the Jurassic Park episode that he did. I was listening a little bit of the holiday to kind of prep my own podcast on that. So. Yeah, I, I've been yep. really digging The Ringer. Uh, Joanna Robinson, I know, who I'm a really big fan of, just joined The Ringer, uh, so, yep. of Ringerverse, so I'm really, yeah, getting into a lot of that. 